Good morning. My name's Adam. I'm glad you are here, and I'm glad you are here, wherever you're here. Looks like it's good to be together. I'm excited. Amanda mentioned the Jesus Is series that we're, that we're going into. This is something that towards the end of last year, we were reconsidering. I don't know how for you years end and years begin. I'm not someone for New Year's resolutions, but I do often assess, okay, what's good? What worked? What isn't? What I want to take with me? What I want to change? And I had some time at the end of last year to pray. And I'll also honor and credit my wife who isn't here today. We had a very late night. We've got the joy of university students living in the apartment above us. Uh, and I'm not used to three in the morning, but um, yeah. Sarah found or refound Jesus in a way where she said some sentences to me like, how did I not see this? How did I not know this? So often we think of the story of Jesus is what you learn at the beginning of Christianity. And then you pass this test and then you go on to the, the other stuff. That's absolutely not the case. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. As in, you can see God in Jesus. You can see all of God in Jesus. This question that Moses asked in the Old Testament of, I want to see you. Moses' answer was, well, you can't. You can just see my back and it's not really the whole picture. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is more than just the beginning He is the beginning and the end. He was there at the beginning. He'll be there at the end. So this Jesus is series is exploring who he is and what that means both in our lives and in the world that we live in. I've been using the word participator recently. For me, it is crucial that we participate together, that we learn together. So we came up with the idea of, well, let's look at some books. And for some people, they like books. And then, wait a minute, some people don't like books. Let's watch something on the screen. Or let's blend a hybrid of the two. We're asking you to order the books, one book a month. And there's the Facebook page that Amanda mentioned so we can discuss. So people can say, I saw this. Wow, that's great. I saw this. We want to learn together. Community. Church is a body where we listen and we learn together. And we welcome the insights of everyone in the room, not just one person telling you what you should see. So please dig in with this. It's coming up and I'm excited. As for today, today, slightly different. We finished the mini-series from the John 1 letter, letter from a friend. This week, I want to do something that's really important. This is something that, that a conversation I had with a staff a few weeks ago. On a Tuesday morning, we have a staff meeting. And we've got a big kitchen table, and we sit around the kitchen table, and we talk often about what's going on, what's coming up, and what we need to do. I didn't want to get too far in the year or too far into those conversations without having what I believe is the most important conversation ever. And we're going to have the same conversation here. It's the conversation of what does it look like for us as individuals Because it always starts with us as individuals. It's never good enough for it to be somebody else's story, experience, sermon. It always starts with us. What does it look like for us 
to know the presence of God in such a way that it changes us. And by default, it seeps from us and changes the atmosphere around us. As leaders, as staff, the conversation I was having with them was this. If you try and create those spaces, those environments where people encounter God, but you fail to recognize that first you create this space where you encounter God, the second bit won't happen. Or if it does happen, it won't be the same. It will be based on your skills and efforts and achievements. But if we are the people that know the presence of God, know the person of the Holy Spirit, walk closely with Jesus, who said he's with us when we gather in numbers like this. If that's in us, then it's going to be around us. And for those who lead, who serve, who give of our talents to create spaces for others, it's going to change the atmosphere in those environments. So I wanted to have that conversation at the beginning of the year. And I want to have it here today. And I'm going to get some examples in. So this is a teaching that is of crucial importance and an application which is, I don't want to say more important, as important. If you just get the teaching bit but don't do the application bit, it won't work. It's both. So I want you to lean in with the question, if it was being asked to you, I ask this to every staff member. What does it look like for you? Let me start with some things that I miss. I miss flying. I haven't been on an airplane since last March. I was visiting my family, and there was the early signs of this virus in China, which I thought, oh, that's a silly idea. It's not going to affect me. And I got out of London two days before I could not have got out of London, and I would have been there for some time, which would have made for a very interesting year. I haven't flown since. A strange but true statistic for flying. If you're sat next to a passenger, and the trolley comes along with the snack food and the sugary drinks and other things, and they offer something to the person next to you first, if they say yes to something, statistically, you are 70% more likely also to say yes. And it has nothing to do with you knowing the person. So it's not like, oh, my husband had a chocolate bar, I'll have one too. We just have this communal, they're going with that, hey, I think I should go with that. These things happen. Things rub off. I remember being told when I was a child, be careful not to keep the wrong crowd. Don't get in with the wrong crowd. This phrase, the wrong crowd. It's frightening. No one knows who's in it. No one introduces themselves on the first day at a new school. Hi, my name is this, and I'm the wrong crowd. At some point, you have to guess who it is and who it isn't with this caution that parents and grandparents say, don't get in with the wrong crowd, because they know that it will rub off on you. It will change you. Like the chocolate bar on the airplane. You're going to say no. They said yes to two. So you're like, yeah, I'll do the same. It happens. We are changed by our surroundings. And I've just used some examples where it can be bad, but there are other examples where it can be good. If you join a gym and you make friends with the gym and people keep fit and you see them a couple of times a week, you want to go back because that sense of community and connection, it encourages you. I've never been one for dieting, but I'm aware that some diets uh, 
They get together. They have these groups where they all weigh in at the same time. And there's this cheering on. Hey, well done. You've lost four pounds. Well done. You didn't hit the Christmas treats too hard and so on. And there is this communal encouragement because we are often changed by our surroundings. And we're often changed by the company that we keep. I use this as an example because we know this in our life. We know this in parenting. We know this in chocolate bars. We know this in dieting. But what does God say about this? Aware that we, as people, are easily changed. And aware that everything starts with us. And ultimately, what's in you is always going to come out of you. Because we are always shaped by something and therefore shaping things. What does God say about this? How can we live What's a good example? Let's answer that question by heading in the direction of Acts 4. And if you've not got your Bibles, it will appear on the screens. There, 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 and there on your screen, iPhone, iPad, TV, whatever it is. Acts 4. Give you some context. This is the early, early days of the new church. Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead. The disciples were scared, confused encountered him amazed blown away and re-emerging and this is the story of their kind of re-emerging in the previous chapter Peter and John have been on their way into the temple and there's somebody who's begging and who's a cripple and he's asking for money Peter says I've not got any money but I do have Jesus what is inside of me the presence of Jesus is inside of me And Peter knew that because the presence of Jesus was inside of him, it can come out of him. Because whatever is in you can come out of you. So he says, why don't you just get up and walk instead of asking for some money? And he did. It was a big deal. Drew a crowd. People were excited, confused, asking questions. It annoyed the religious leaders because they couldn't do that. Rome, this powerful empire that liked order and control, who didn't like crowds, who didn't like things being unpredictable. They wanted to control, restrain, and bring order to everything. This, this, this upsets that system too. And we pick up the story in Acts 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed Because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John. And because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed in them. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Anas, the high priest, was there. So were Cephas, 
John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to give account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want to pause because I want just for 10, 15 seconds to let the scripture itself speak before I expand on it. A remarkable miracle. In an atmosphere that was already tense. Sometimes people use the phrase, oh, you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. There was the fear, the very recent backdrop of what had happened to Jesus. The confusion in the crowds, the confusion in the disciples. Some believing he's back, some believing, of course he's not back. Roman soldiers showing what they can do and will do again. The priests fighting for a religious way of doing things. And if it doesn't fit with that metric, they're not okay with that. And then there's this moment, Peter, the one who denied Jesus a few chapters back. And it now says this, Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember what is in you will come out of you. So what we host in us will change the environment around us. This is so important as a church that has a vision that says we want to create environments where people encounter God. It starts with us. When we do it, it's possible. When we don't do it, we just celebrate someone else's story, but it's not my experience. It's someone else's. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit and he speaks. Listen to what he says. Peter preached Jesus with a challenge, outrageous challenge. You killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. If you're in trouble and you're trying to talk your way out of getting into trouble, this is probably not the way to do it. So these people who are very happy to kill someone, they don't like. They did it six weeks ago. The day the Sanhedrin met, 
Sanhedrin means sitting together. It is this council of religious leaders who are closely connected with Rome on the basis that we will bring religious order and you can tax and control and retain empire. And the two were in bed with each other for the sake of common ground. So they're sitting together, they're meeting, and the senior high priest was present, as was Cephas, the reigning high priest. Both of these people played a role in the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. If I was Peter, I would be concerned, and I would be hesitant to wind them up. There is almost a tension It's almost pregnant with tension. What's going to happen next? Peter and John are brought in front of the high court. Peter goes on the defensive. You killed Jesus. You, but God raised him from the dead. God is doing something bigger than you can understand God is doing something bigger than you've seen before. And for some of the people in that room, and possibly some of the people in our room or in your front room, we need to have a bigger expectation that maybe God's going to do something that's beyond our understanding, our shape, our tilt, our preference. Now, he doesn't move away from his word. We don't reimagine scripture. But the God who breathes possibility into impossibility hasn't stopped doing so. So where do they go? You killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. At this point, Peter's quoting Psalm 118. And for the religious people in the room, they knew that. How is he quoting these ancient passages and scriptures? Isn't this person a fisherman? How's he doing this? You stone the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is, my only analogy for this is like kicking a bee's nest. As silly as that sounds, I have a true story. My grandparents uh, had a small farm by a lovely river. And I remember I used to love to help my granddad. I always liked to have a bonfire. It was always nice if we could have a fire. But I'd help him even on days when we couldn't have a fire. And I remember at the top of the field, there was a bee's nest. And granddad had to deal with it. And he was a good, strong man. And he said, now, Adam, you stand behind me. I'll stand in front and we'll we'll deal with this. And I watched him and he was very effective. And um, he hosed some stuff on it and they didn't like it. And and off they went. And it was job done and nobody got stung. And then Grandad went back into the house. And I lingered. I went for a closer look. I kind of gave it a bit of a poke with a stick. And they weren't all gone. And I got stung. Uh, Peter is booting a bee's nest of trouble. This is the Peter who was scared, petrified, leaving the gang. But what's inside of him has changed him and is changing him. And it isn't just because he has a belief system, but it's because the presence of God, the presence of Jesus... It's changed him. It's changed him so much that it's easy for him to change the dynamic around him, even a very hostile dynamic. So how do they reason this? How do they conclude this? How do they put this puzzle together? 
The religious leaders who are very clever, who like to tell each other that they were clever and walk around announcing themselves as clever, use the very clever word. The word that they used was agromotai, which means this person can read. We don't believe that they're illiterate, but they're not scored as we are scored. It is a term that sounds complimentary and that it doesn't entirely say they're stupid, but there's an arrogance of they're not schooled like I am or like you are. They've missed it. This wasn't the first time they'd used this term. In John 7 verse 15, the exact same term and accusation was made of Jesus, where they were perplexed that how does somebody who hasn't studied like us come to this? They're ordinary people. They're people like you and me. What do we do? How do they conclude? There's this beautiful sentence which quite possibly sums everything up as the dream, the goal, the thing to aim at. And it isn't, wouldn't it be amazing if we could heal people who are lame? Wouldn't it be amazing if we could preach like Peter? Wouldn't it be amazing if we had the confidence to change the room? Those are good things. But the thing that stands out is this. These people have been with Jesus. Almost like someone's put too much aftershave or perfume on and you notice it. These people have been with Jesus. And we can't help noticing it. That's the goal. That's the dream. That's the reason that we can create environments where people encounter God because it starts with us. So the goal, the dream, the hope, the prayer, the application is how do you do that? Because if you do that, good things will rub off. If you don't, they won't. And it doesn't matter how well you know the story, the text, or like the religious people, it doesn't matter if you've got really advanced in knowledge. These people have been with Jesus. So what does this look like? I'm now going to get very practical. I'm going to introduce some staff members in a minute or two to explain what do they do. And this is going to be really ordinary. And I deliberately want to make it ordinary because we live following an extraordinary God. And most of us live really ordinary lives. Uh, where tomorrow is Monday morning and you may start your day shoveling snow. And your bed's going to be nice and you're not going to want to get up. And we live ordinary lives. So what does it look like to follow an extraordinary God in our ordinary lives? I've got a stool. Amanda's going to come first and she's going to say what her routine is, what she does. And we may take some notes and send some of these things out because we want to give ideas of where that what works for one person won't work for someone else. But this is a crucial importance. I love a good stool sit. Um, routine. Wow, that's a, that's a strong word. <laughs> but there are two things that come to mind when I think about um, hosting the presence of God in my life. 
And the first one is kind of, I just, I love stories. I love hearing about how God is working in people's lives. It's inspiring. It makes, it helps me dream um, with God about, oh, oh so what's, what's going to happen in my life? You know, um, a book that I just finished is called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, and which is actually a little out of my um, out of my normal genre, but was still so inspiring to me to hear the stories of people who just lived like fully embracing prayer and following God through prayer and pursuing God through prayer and the things that he he did when people really leaned into that. Um, I love a good Bob Goff story. You know, he is so inspiring. He helps me dream um, about what God can really do. And then um, kind of on a, on a self-care level, I feel like for me in my season right now, which is three small kids and trying to balance the home and um, homeschooling and working and all these different things. So in my season, it's so important for me to really fight for stepping outside of my space and just being with God, whether it's just going for a walk and listening with no music, no podcasts, because I love a good podcast. Um, but just walking and that motion of kind of walking is really, really brings me outside of my normal everyday space. Or I might be so lucky to get a few hours where I get to run down to the Elm Street farm and just spend some time there, either wandering around the property or just sitting and, and being in God's presence. So those things are so important to me in my season um, because the more I fight for it, the more God honors that. And I was washing dishes the other day and I felt like I heard a word from God that was just spot on and I could share with somebody. So the more that I step outside of my space and fight for that time, the more it kind of blends into my everyday washing the dishes. I don't freak out on the kids as much. I'm more patient with, you know, with schoolwork or feel more productive. So those are kind of some of the practical ways that I host God's presence. That's great. Thanks. Laura, come and tell us about you. So I had to write it down in case I forget a few things. Um, I start my day, the moment my eyes open, I claim um, the promise that um, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. So I set my intentions on him and my focus on him instead of me. And um, then I read my devotions and um, I just look to him for what he wants me to do during the day, even though I have things to do and um, um, work to do. I'll say, I have to do these things, Lord, but whatever your will is, I will do it. And um, during the day, I, I listen to um, worship music to keep me focused. And... Um, when my mind starts to drift and go off into those dark places, I turn my eyes to him like the old hymn. Um, if you turn your eyes to Jesus, the things of the earth will go strangely dim, and they do. And um, then I can just focus on him. And I had a, um, this morning, he said to me, um, and I thought this was really cool. Yeah. Um, I tend to try to fit him into my world, and 
he said to me, I want, I want you to fit into my world. So it's not all about me, and it takes all the pressure off of me. And um, my, um, my go-to chapter that really helps me is Philippians 4. Thanks. Rocks. Hello. Um, so for a long time, uh, listening to worship music has been a way for me to feel God's presence. And so that was probably, you know, the thing that's been the most consistent. Um, and so sometimes at home, I like to create an atmosphere. I'm like really big on lighting. So I'll like cover up the, the doors and the windows and I'll light some candles. And sometimes I get really obsessive about it and I'm like, no, there's a crack of light coming in there. Um, but I just love to set the space to, um, to just sit there and experience God um, through the music. And sometimes I stand, sometimes I sit, sometimes I cry. Um, but that's definitely one of the most consistent ways for me. Um, sometimes I experience God through reading scripture. Um, a lot of times the Psalms, the Psalms really speak to me. There was a time when for several months I just read the Lord's Prayer and that was something that when I just sat there and kind of meditated on it, um, that Jesus was my shepherd, that he restores my soul, that he leads me beside quiet waters, like I would just begin to just sense that and feel that. And so oftentimes in the Psalms, I feel God. And um, I would say the last way that I've been experiencing um, God's presence more recently is um, in serving, serving people um, specifically from marginalized groups. Um, I was with Lynn Ministries a couple months ago, and we were getting ready to serve a meal for people experiencing homelessness um, downtown Brockton. And we got the table set. And we were getting ready. People were lined up. And um, the leader of this ministry began to pray just over the food and the people. And it felt just like I was in God's presence as if I was, you know, listening to worship music. I just felt that right there. It just kind of filled that space. And um, I was like, wow, like God is right here right here with these people as we serve this meal. And this is, this is amazing. So that's about it. That's great. Thank you. Some answers. There are others. Did you notice some of the, some of the spaces while I'm doing the dishes? When I wake up in the morning, hey, we all do that, right? When I'm serving the poor, a prayer that is the prayer that Jesus said, hey, just pray this. If you don't know what to pray, some people say, I don't know what to pray. Jesus has answered that question for you. Pray this prayer. Patterns, habits, things that will rub 
off. Things that will change us. I'll give you, you know, I'll go for the store as well. I like a story from a store. Uh, Sarah, who isn't here, last year suffered the challenge that many parents suffer during COVID and homeschooling. Like, there's no gaps. It's crazy. So what started with a reason why you couldn't do something, and therefore this was being squeezed, she said, I'm going to use it the other way. Every time there is a gap, I'm going to eliminate the things that were filling that gap and use that gap for Jesus. And it may be short, but instead of social media or news, which was both both found their way claiming many gaps in many people's lives, she said, I'm going to use those gaps for Jesus. For her, that was key and exercising. We bought an elliptical, home elliptical, and we would listen to worship music. And Sarah and I had some incredible moments of worshiping God while exercise. For me, I am increasingly predictable, so predictable. Uh, I wake up in the morning, I have a bowl of cereals, I have a glass of orange juice. I normally have Rice Krispies, and then I move my bowl and my glass next to the dishwasher. I'm told that putting it next to the dishwasher isn't quite as helpful as putting it in the dishwasher. But um, I'm also told I'm I'm not alone in, in in that transition. And then I sit in my chair... I have a cup of tea, and I've got the Bible in a year, which my mum and dad gave to me and to all of my cousins on our 18th birthday. Read this. And I read the Bible in a year every year, and I've, I've done that since then. And it's like I'm eating breakfast. And the thing about breakfast, sometimes, okay, it's just breakfast. It, it, it doesn't taste amazing. Sometimes it's fantastic. But either way, I don't miss breakfast. I do it every single day. Often, I find God speaks to me through the scriptures. Often. It's quite short. doesn't take long, maybe 10 minutes. And then I pause and I go about my day. Often, my head is already running before I begin. Sometimes, I wake up and I'm annoyed. I've got to speak to this person and this person. And in that moment, there's a prayer that I pray. And it's a psalm and it says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. And I pray that as I go into some conversations, because I know inside of me, it isn't. And that happens. And I want it to be. I want a center like that. The elliptical idea that Sarah had rubbed off on me. And we live next to the YMCA. And I'll go and I'll listen to worship music. And I've been having some incredible God moments while I'm exercising. And I'm listening to some songs. And there's one or two songs that that kind of take me back to the beginning. These moments where I experience God in a powerful, life-changing way. And the songs may have dated, but for me, they're timeless. And I listen to some of these songs. And there's been two moments in the last month where... One of them last week, I sensed the presence of of God in the YMCA Eastern, where people are masked up, getting sweaty, and I'm on the elliptical, and I sense the presence of God. And you know when you've got headphones on and you're trying not to sing, and then someone says, hey, you're really loud, but you don't know that. So I move past that level of embarrassment and I'm singing in tongues and I'm praying and I'm 
seeing people around me thinking, I need to tell this person about Jesus, this person, because I'm having a God moment. And what often happens in a God moment, as I host the presence of God, I can't contain it all. So for me and for the staff and for us as a church, where yes, we want to create environments where people encounter God, it starts with us. This weekend, I played pool in a pool tournament. Such a strange world I've stumbled into. Such a strange world. And I always meet people. I I tend to take the view that most people in life are good until they show you otherwise. I said that to someone else and he said, I work on the same basis but the other way around. (laughs) And that's often shaped by our experience. Met these people. Uh, I don't talk like they talk apparently. And they said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I'm here to be part of a church. I lead it. And they went, what? What are you doing here? I said, well, I do this. They said, you're a pastor? I said, I think so. I think that's what you call it. They said, what's the difference between a pastor and a priest? I said, you tell me. They said, well, I went to an Episcopal church when I was growing up and there was a priest. I didn't like it. It didn't mean anything to me. There was rules and order, and, and I didn't keep the rules, and I didn't connect with the order. And now I'm talking to a pastor who's playing Paul. And, I, and, and that's confusing me. What's that all about? What do you believe? I said, I believe in Jesus. I said, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God and is the way to God. I said, what do you believe? And they said, I don't believe anything. I said, are you sure? This conversation was yesterday. It's very fresh. She said, what do you mean am I sure? I said, most people don't necessarily believe in church because they've had an experience and it doesn't work for them. But most people believe that there's something bigger than themselves. There's a story bigger than themselves. Where do you see yourself in that story? They said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally believe that. I said, well, I believe that that story is the story that Jesus told, that God loves you. And he always has. He wants to save you because we've all messed up. We all need saving. And he wants to make things better. For those that like the Christian terminology, we're talking about the pronouncement of the kingdom of God. Although that wasn't the way I explained it. And she said, I I struggle to see that. I said, Jesus would turn up at places like this because Jesus likes meeting people like you. He always has. I left it at that. And I'm realizing again, and this is not just something for evangelists, but what I'm realizing again is when I host the presence of God intentionally through prayer, through reading the Bible, listening to podcasts, whatever it works, is retreats, walks, dishes, when I am hosting the presence of God, Keeps, it keeps flowing so easily. So my question to you to wrap this up is what are you hosting? What do you host? Because whatever you host, it will change you. If you're hosting gossip, it's going to change you and you're going to gossip. If I use the silly analogy of 
Everyone's having a chocolate bar. I'll have a chocolate bar. Whatever is going on around you, wherever you're spending time, that doesn't mean to say there's some places you shouldn't go because we should be the light in the darkness. But what are you hosting? And what's the fruit of it? My goal, my prayer, my dream for us as a church is that we, knowing it starts with me and you, will host the presence of God richly. We'll read the scriptures, we'll pray, we'll worship, we'll retreat, we'll do dishes. We'll fill the gaps and say, Jesus, we need you and we will see the difference. We will see the difference. This isn't a strategy, but this is a promise that when we do that, he will be with us always and people will keep finding that. And maybe, just maybe, you and I will be described as these people have been with Jesus. These people have been with Jesus. That's the dream. And it starts with us. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, somebody is going to come around and deliver to you some communion elements. In the top section is a wafer that represents the bread, the body of Jesus, and below that is some juice that represents the blood of Jesus. Everything that I've talked about is made possible because of the symbolism of the cross. Everything is made possible because of this. In our brokenness, when we were disconnected from God, when the weight of our actions prevented us from being in close relationship with a God who loves us, Jesus says, I am going to pay the price. I am going to invite their sin, their mistakes on me. I'm going to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And it looks like a cross and it looks like spilt blood and it looks like a broken body. Now we know that that's not the end of the story, but I don't want to be so flippant that we rush to Easter Sunday without honoring the sacrifice of Good Friday. Because it was a sacrifice. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy. And when Jesus did it, he was thinking of you and me and us. And this story is the ultimate story. And it's available for all. The disciples were sat around the table and as was discussed and mentioned of them. These were ordinary people. They weren't clever. They weren't perfect. They didn't know all the scriptures. But yet they were invited to be around that table. And without knowing everything that there was to know, Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to them and says, I want you to take this. I want you to take this. It's not Uh, Hey, would you like this? No, I want you to take this. I want you to receive this. I've got something for you.
So in that spirit, in that mind, we pause and we ask God to forgive us for anything that we're carrying. And that we say, Lord, I see the intent of your offer. And I say yes, and we receive the bread. And when you're ready, why don't you, why don't you do that? And the cup. The cup that probably, when the disciples were there, was one cup. Current circumstances mean that we aren't all drinking from one container. But there's something powerful of the unity that there's one cup. Because the spirit of generosity is also reflected in the diversity of the church. We're not all the same. Our backgrounds, cultures, skin color, we're not all the same, but there's one cup. There's not a cross for this group of people and a cross for this group of people. There's a cross for all people. All people. One cup. For all. Why don't we stand up? I'm going to stand up and pray. Before we have a song, I wanted in this message to, yeah, bring the teaching, the why you should do something, and also the how, how you're going to do it. Aware that most of the application for this is in the week when you're doing your dishes and walking and looking after kids and praying. But there may be some people in the room where you're like, oh my goodness, I am in a dry place. These tips, these life hacks help. But you may be feeling in a dry place. If that is the case, in the context of community, I want to pray for you. So, and this is not a big deal. and You're not meant to feel com- uncomfortable. If you feel in a dry place, just stick your hand up in the air now and I'll pray. In the room, if you're online... You don't need to say anything, but if you want to, just write write the word dry and we'll pray for you in the week. I'm going to pray for you now. Lord, I pray that you breathe on those who feel dry. Well, we know that when you breathe on dry bones that we aren't convinced could ever live again, they live. They live And Lord, we all at times have dry bones. (sighs) Breathe on us. As you breathed on the dry bones in the Old Testament. And as Jesus, you breathed on the disciples' anxiety and fear and dry bones at the end of the Gospel of John. Lord, breathe on these bones. And may they live again. Fill us. Fuel us. And teach us that what we've learned today isn't just a sermon for a Sunday, but is something that we do tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. Lord, may we be people who have been with Jesus. Jesus.